So the first words that I had typed on a sheet of paper. Prayer changes everything. Prayer changes everything. It isn't just something we say in church. It is a reality. Give me that first slide. On January 22nd, 1973, Roe v. Wade was signed. For my entire life, I was born in 1972. For as long as I can remember within the church, it was a prayer against what had happened. It was a prayer speaking life. It was a prayer, God, come in, intercede, intercede, intercede. And you see on June 24th, 2022, that what so many had been praying for for so long came to pass. I remember growing up within the church. I remember President Reagan saying this statement right here. Throw me this. That I noticed that everyone who is for abortion has already been born. I'm one who digs in. I'm one who reads. And so through the years, I have read statistically the numbers of abortions, the reasons stated for abortions. I have read the outlier statistics that have taken the place of the main argument in many of the pro-choice debates. I have read about the role in eugenics in placing abortion clinics in lower neighborhoods, lower income neighborhoods, where it was set out by people who had a plan. I have heard names like Margaret Sanger, like Madeline Murray O'Hare. And yet we prayed. As a church, we prayed. There were life chains where people would say all manner, scream whatever at you, throw whatever sign up at you. People saying, what are you doing? For years. But Friday, I witnessed the Supreme Court as it affirmed states' rights. I witnessed as the Supreme Court affirmed life. And while many in the church would stand and applaud loudly, I would say right now that this is your for such a time as this. See, because when we pray, when we pray for something, like with the children praying to get into the promised land, you couldn't just stop at saying you're allowed to go into the promised land, but it had to be something after that. And so now God passing a torch to his people saying, what you have prayed for for so long, what are you going to do about it? I posted something yesterday, and it was Isaiah 520. It was a reference to the last days, saying, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. We are there. As I sat, just trying to even wrap my mind around where we as the church are, I read a quote from a politician decrying what had happened and saying that it was done because it was giving in to ideologues. An ideologue is one who is lockstepped in by their dogmatic way of seeing things. And it lit something up in me. And as I was driving in my Jeep, I began to say out loud, see, I'm not an ideologue. I am a sinner that's saved by grace. I believe in forgiveness and the life-giving promise of a Messiah who conquered death in the grave. 
I believe that I was chosen before I was even born. I believe that we were called to be a royal priesthood, that we are God's own, that we were called from darkness into his glorious light. I believe that we are going to speak life, that we're going to stand for life, that we're going to pour our lives out as a drink offering before the one who is life. I will do so apologetically or unapologetically unless I stand the way God wants me to. Because I can stand up and I can do something. I can be like, oh, but, but no offense. You know what? If it is politically incorrect to stand on God's word, then let me stand on it. I will stand when the world bows before the idol of the moment. I will stand when the furnace is heating up. I will stand when they're picking up the stones to start throwing. Because I am a believer in Jesus Christ. Psalm 139, those verses that we heard so much when it came to life, starting in verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame wasn't hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And in your book, they were all written, the days fashioned for me, as yet there were none of them. And so I ask you, church, are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready to be salt and light in a way that you never have before? Are you prepared to go to the places where you're being called to go, where you never have before? I'm not going to stand here and say, buckle in. I'm going to stand here and say, get ready to jump. In 2 Peter 3.3, we read this. You must understand, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Scoffing means contemptuously ridiculing or mocking something or someone. Understand this. If there has ever been a time when it's been about principalities and powers, if there's ever been a time where we don't make an us and them and begin to hate someone else, it is now. I say that thinking of when I was younger. Little mobile home park along Route 20 where my grandma lived. In the summers, I would spend time there. And sometimes when you get a group of boys together, a group of boys would fight. Not me, but the other boys. (laughs) And it's funny because when people would try to bait me in, they would do so in this way. They would bring up my mom. And it's funny because all the other boys, I mean, as soon as the word mom or mama came out, I mean, it was just on. With me, I don't know. Maybe I was the philosopher of the group or whatever, but I was like, you don't even know Joanne. <laughs> like, what are you doing? Like, it didn't stick. It didn't, it didn't hurt me. But the truth why I say that is because when it comes to scoffers, the scoffers probably aren't going to be strangers. The ridicule that you may feel as the people of God standing on what you stand on may sting. The mocking may come from a familiar voice, but don't let it go there. Don't let it allow you to get your eyes off the fact that if it's ever been about the powers of darkness, it is now, and we are to stand, and we're to stand in love. We're an army that fights on our knees, but we're an army that fights in love. 
right here, right now is not the time to begin focusing on the things that we hate. Colossians 3, 2. It's time to set my affections on things above. In 2 Peter 3, 3, it says the things that were written are written as reminders to stir me into wholesome thinking. Psalm 103, 2 says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. See, it's time to grab hold of every good thing. The Bible tells me to take every thought captive. It's time to take everything that happens in my life captive until I see the God in it. It is time to drop the snark, to drop the attitude. It's time to get our Facebook saved and to quit posting the stuff we shouldn't put. It's time for us as Christians not to have this crew we can be real around and just negative and for us to be God's people that he calls us to be. It's time to see and declare that every day he is heaping blessings on me. Heaping. It's Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loads us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. He loads you up. Brendan, tomorrow morning, he already has it prepared that he's going to shower you with tailor-made blessings. I want to count them. I want to show them off. You know when you're a kid and you get something new and you want to show it off. I want to show it off. I want to say this is what my God has done for me past couple weeks I've been speaking out of James haven't gotten far in the first chapter but here is a wild thing we got to verse 16 of the first chapter of James and it says this do not be deceived my beloved brethren next verse says every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning here's what I love about verse 16 that do not be deceived See, I read a lot through the week, and I'll read these sermon help things, and I'll read Blue Letter Bible, and I'll get into Strong's, and I'll, I'll hear this, or I'll see that. What's amazing about that do not be deceived is in the first chapter of James, sometimes at 16, it goes with the verses that are before it. Right? The things we've been talking about. The trials that come along, the temptations that come along, the way God works patience in your life, the fact that I as a human can be double-minded, I can think God's going to do it, God may not do it. That can all play in. Do not be deceived. So it's saying those things are going on. Don't be deceived. All that goes on, but don't be deceived. Don't let it trick you. Other studies that I read, it ties that verse 16 in the things that follow, and the very next verse says that every good and every perfect gift comes from God. So what I like about that is that it's telling me that what God says has purpose. It has weight. It is powerful. I think of this. I think of there are times that you see on the news that maybe in Europe they'll be doing some excavating to dig things up, and they will come upon World War II ordinance that's been dropped. And when said things are found, do you know how they approach it? Not lightly. They call in the bomb squad. Because the truth is, from the moment that that thing was dropped, it's just as dangerous. And when it comes to the word of God, from the moment it was dropped, it's just as powerful. It's just as dangerous. It's just as able to do what it was meant to do. The Yahweh of my trial is the same Yahweh that gives me his absolute best. Every good and every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He is always going to be characterized by goodness. He is always going to be characterized as having 
a heart to give good gifts to his children. Oh, that word in there, perfect. When you read that word perfect, it has in its root this idea of fulfilling a purpose. In other words, the things that God gives us are perfect for fulfilling what he has for me set out to do. For the mission he has given me, the gifts that he gives, they're going to perfect that. Somebody needs to hear this, and so I'm going to say it, because I've got the mic. You need to be willing to stand up in the same spirit that Joseph had when faced with those brothers in Egypt. You need to have the audacity to say what you intended for evil, God meant for good. You need to be willing to say, oh, I remember, I remember the bruises from the pit, but I also know that God had purpose. I remember how it felt when my identity was taken from me at times, but I know the God who says who I am. I know how the accusation stung, and I know how it sounded when the jail doors closed, but I also know how it sounded when they opened and God promoted me to the place that he has called me to be. It is time, perfect, that which is entire, complete, wanting nothing. It's regarded as good and as whole. When you read that passage, that word gift, every good and every perfect gift, those words gift is used two different ways in there. The first reference, it talks about how something is given. And what it's really doing there is saying, think about as a person, how you can get gifting wrong. You ever buy something for someone and they're like, thanks, and you know they're going to re-gift it. God doesn't get it wrong. He doesn't get it wrong. The second part of that, it refers to the actual gift. Anything that God gives, the gift represents the heart of the giver. In this sense, when God gives a perfect gift, it may not be something that you want, something that you asked for, something that makes you feel good, but it's something you need. I am officially at the age of getting like t-shirts for Christmas, but I need them. I need them. And if you go to buy t-shirts for yourself, you know that's a major investment. Gallon of gas and a t-shirt, Go get a loan for that. If the trials refine me, then the gifts perfect me. Let me focus on that word gift. As a church unapologetic about the move of the Holy Spirit, the gifts perfect me. The gifts perfect me. I want to be where God wants me to be. I want to feel the power of the Holy Spirit just as real and just as relevant as the day that it dropped at Pentecost. It is not Holy Spirit light. It is not diet Holy Spirit. It is what God wants to do in that moment, and that is what I want. It is not possible. Hmm. Let me preface it by saying this. Someone here is in a spot 
where your relationship with God's chilled off some. You step back a bit. And you have thought, if not said out loud these things, you have thought, well, look, things still seem to be going good. Now here the church had me thinking that if I stepped back from God, bad would come upon me. You look at your finances and think, look, my finances haven't taken a hit. Look at the relationships around you. Those seem to be fine. But it is imperative for me to say to you that in order for a gift to be good and perfect, it must come from God. That the world may give you a facsimile of what feels good in the moment, but I am telling you, when it comes to God, those perfect gifts are things that satisfy, they fulfill, they complete. When you say the words church family, that is what I think of. And there are people here that I think of as close as my own family because of this bond and the blood of Jesus Christ that we have. Another word that's associated with that word perfect is magnitude. I think of a seismograph. I think of when there's an earthquake and you see, I think I have a picture of that. Throw that one up there. Something that God put into my spirit is this. When there is an earthquake, when there is a tremor, it is not relegated to that very spot. See, there are tremors that happen under Lake Erie every now and then. And what's wild is the seismographs in other states pick that up. When it comes to revival, when it comes to the move, when it comes to the outpouring that God wants to pour out, there is something that God is saying, it will not remain where you are. It will flow out. It will shake things. It will make people uncomfortable because they're not really sure what's going on. It'll cause people to have to look for something to grab onto, namely God himself. Let the spirit fall. Oh, the times we're living in, past couple days, I've seen pictures. Show me that protest picture. This. The shouts of burn it down. The threats. The anger. People took to the streets to cry out in anger. In a fervor. At the perception that their rights had been stolen. Happened at night but it seemed extra dark with the things that were going on. And I say to you, church, it's by no means over. If you think we can stop praying, stop standing for life, you're wrong. It is not over by any stretch. The Psalm 139 verses, here's what comforts me. Even when it appears dark, Psalm 139, 11 says, surely... This is us speaking. Surely the darkness shall fall on me. Even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness will not hide from you, but the night shines as day. The darkness and light are both alike to you. I am saying shine, God. 
I'm saying there is light in the darkest of places. I'm saying let his word be the light that it needs to be. Let us go forward in these things. Let your truth, God, begin to sanctify. Because after things change, then there is that opportunity for sanctification. I pray that we will be instruments of those things. John 17, 17 says, and this is Jesus speaking, sanctify them through your word, your word is truth. You know who them is? Them is us. We are instruments of sanctification. We are instruments of what God wants to do. And if we walk in a way that we begin to set the standard in society, then don't you think sanctification can begin to flow into dark places? I need to be reminded just as surely as he sent his son to complete mission here, he has sent me. And having done so, in verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, Jesus said, even so, I also have sent them. He has sent you. He is not shocked by whatever date it is. He is not shocked by the fact that Rose stood for 50 years and now lays in the dust. He is not shocked, but what he wants to know is what are you going to do? The wording there, the father of lights. The original wording that James used is the father of the lights. It is a reference to the sun, moon, and stars. It's a reference to the fact that through our own eyes, because of the rotation of the earth, there are times that the sun, moon, and stars are not visible to us, but we need to remember that they're still lit. They're not gone. They're not gone. There is no variation or turning. They never switch off. They're always on. When the Bible talks about stirring up the gifts, it's time to stir. It is time to remember that the God who spoke the sun, moon, and stars into existence has spoken life over you. He is for you. He is not against you. He has you right now in this moment. Another thing that ties to that variation when I read, it's almost to be thought of like stones that make up a walkway, like cobblestones. And if you've ever walked on an old brick pathway or an old cobblestone pathway, there are times you're like, whoa, you know, because things, roots get under there, it gets uneven. On Jesus Christ, the rock on which I stand. On Jesus Christ, the rock on which I stand. I am not walking according to the way that this goes or that goes. I am walking according to the way that he says to walk. The great I am, he is the father of lights. It says in 1 John 1, 5, there's no darkness in him. But I love how when I read that not only does it refer to the one who is over the heavenly lights, but it also says a God of fire. Like a Jeremiah 29, fire shut up in my bones kind of God. Like a God who will not let me just drift through life because my relevance in this moment is to open my mouth and to speak him. My relevance in this moment is to step into places. Let me go farther. Get real? We live in a county that has been rocked 
and the foster system is overflowing. And I believe in my heart that the God I serve is just waiting for the church to step up and be the church. You say, Father to the fatherless, it's time. It is time to roll in a way that we haven't rolled. It is time to look to support those things that are life, to support those things that are doing what God wants them to do. And see, we get uncomfortable in that. In a few years, I brought that up, and I told you, I lost so many Facebook friends because I inferred that maybe as Christians, we should do something that is action more than talk. I haven't relented. Because I'm telling you there is opportunity in this moment beyond anything that has ever existed before. If God was ever my refuge, as Psalm 46 calls him, he is my refuge now. If he was ever my strength, he is my strength now. If he was an ever-present help in trouble ever in my life, he is now. In the coming days, weeks, and months, you may say, I don't know what to do. You may say, this is too difficult of a position for God to have placed me in. You may say, I do not have what it takes to be an agent of change for Jesus Christ in this area. God, put it in here, the words you want. Put it in here, the change that you want. Let it be the kind of thing that when we enter the room that we are so about God's business that people are like, whew, I feel it. That is not church speak. It is just as powerful as the day that it was dropped. Before you were formed, his eyes saw you. So for everyone who's saying, I don't know what to do, well, how about this? I'll just read you a little scripture. It's Deuteronomy 30, starting at verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask who will ascend into heaven and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. Nor is it beyond the sea so that you have to ask who will cross the sea and get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it. No, the word is very near you. It is in your mouth. It is in your heart so that you may obey it. See, I set before you today life and prosperity, death and destruction. If there was ever a relevant word, good Lord, for I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, and to keep his commands, his decrees, and his laws, then you will live and increase, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are entering to possess. The walls did not fall merely to make noise. They fell because there are things for the people of God to step into on the other side of that. If the battle belongs to him, he has done a whole lot to bring those walls down. And now, church, where do we go and what do we do? 
It goes on to say, if you turn your heart away and you are not obedient, if you're drawn away to bow down to other gods and to worship them, I declare to you this day that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live long in the land you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. This day I call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. It was never a political issue. Always at the heart of it, it has been Jesus Christ saying, are you going to represent me? Are you going to represent me? Are you able to march into situations that you cannot explain and be a witness for me in that? Are you going to open your mouth for those who are oppressed, for those who do not have a voice? Are you going to do it? Because I'm telling you, the ones that are bound, the ones that are deceived, it's the same thing. And if we cannot speak up in this issue, can we speak up in that issue? If we can't be God's representative in the things he has placed before us, yet we pray for bigger things, what are we doing? I want to choose life. Because I want life in this church family. I'm going to be closing. Luke 12, 32 says this. Fear not, little flock. funny thing about summer is this place you may have this group of people this week this group people are gone people are doing things I just spoken to someone the other day I said come fall it's gonna be tight in here but you look I mean we're a small church family fear not little flock Fear not of the things that are coming, of the things that you've seen, of the things that you hear. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. See, every good and perfect gift, he is giving me things one piece at a time down here that I need to perfect what I need to perfect, to do what I need to do on this side of glory. I end on this. The key wording of everything that I read there comes down from above. <laughs> this is what rocked me. Now, don't be deceived when I say it comes down from above because that, again, that's not just church speak. Don't think that it's thrown in for good measure. Comes down means to descend. We know that, but here's what's wild. On a cross-reference of that, when you look up that exact wording as it's used, the other places that that's used, namely in Matthew 3, 16. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. 
the very thing that began the ministry of my Messiah. The very thing that when the Holy Spirit descended like that dove from above. From above. See, so when it says that things are coming down, the same God that sent that Holy Spirit to descend is the same God that's sending those good gifts on me. John 5, 4. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. Same wording. So the same God who gives me gifts is the same one who troubles the waters. The same one. And I'm saying, God, let the waters be troubled. Let the spirit descend. Let the things that you're going to do happen in this place. In Luke twenty two twenty four, that use of from above. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Every gift that was given was blood-bought. Every gift that was given came at a price. The same passion that was in that garden hours before Jesus would go to the cross for you and me. That is the same heart that is in every gift that's given to me. Everything that's going to be loaded up on you tomorrow, that same heart is in that. And so I end on this, church. There is a quote. Came up in my Facebook memories. Don't even know when I put this up, but I love it came up today to think that we deserve to live in different times is to tell God that we deserve a better mission field than the one he has given us you're the salt you're the light you are equipped you are able You are not alone. And for every scar that you bear, you can tell the devil that did not take me out. See, when I was a kid, the coolest guys that I knew had a scar. If you had a friend and they had a scar on their face, it was a badge of honor. But nobody wanted to take the wound to get the scar right we don't ask for that but I'm telling you you are not broken God has gifted you with something tailor made God has placed within you something he did not place in me something he did not place in the person beside you and he did so for a purpose but he placed us all at this crossroads for such a time as this if you'll stand We're going to pray. I have some graduates that we're going to pray over. Church, in the coming days, we have a choice as to how we are going to walk. Will we walk in love and humility, seeking out how we can be God's answer in this time? Or will we walk around thumbing our noses because a prayer has been answered? 
God, let us be your solution. Let's bow our heads. Father, right now I come before you humbly. First and foremost, I thank you, God, that you are a God that answers prayer. I thank you that there is no prayer that goes up that you do not hear. And Father, I thank you for the fact that you have placed us right here, right now. Give us an extra helping of love. Give us your vision to see when the enemy is trying to get us to hate someone else. And Father, I pray that you would begin to put feet to the prayers that have been going up. Allow us to see the simple ways that we can be your hands and feet in this time. Because God, it's just begun. And I thank you for all you do and all you're going to do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.